Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In the last episode, we saw the importance of humility in the story of Elijah and Jezebel. In this episode, we move into the ancient church of Sardis. This church does not get a favorable description in the book of Revelation. It's described as a place that seems alive but is actually dying. Tim goes through Revelation's response to being spiritually dead. Why do we claim faith but don't live it out? And how can we improve the consistency of our lives? The warning to the Church of Sardis is the same for us. It's time to come alive. So we'll keep going in Revelation today. We've seen that this is a very simple book. has a very simple message. It's Jesus speaking to us. And Jesus says, hey... I am writing this to my servants, not to other people's servants, my servants. It's written to believers, those who follow Jesus. He has a very simple message. His message is, I want you to be a good witness. And then he gives us instructions on how to be a good witness. And he gives us instructions from two basic eras, what was and what is, and then what is to come. So we've been talking about the what was and is part, which is the seven churches from the Roman province of Asia, now Turkey. And we've looked at Ephesus, the church that had truth. They had a truth culture. Jesus is really clear. I like the truth culture. I want you to keep the truth culture, but it's not enough. When you have a truth culture, you need love too. Or you just can't be the witness I need you to be. And then we look at Smyrna, the Smyrna, the the age of persecution in the church. Ephesus was the apostolic age. And Jesus says, look, I know people are dying. You're under tremendous duress in this era. I just ask you to do one thing. Embrace death. Just embrace it. Because in dying, you live. Die to the world, die to self. That's the real source of life. In Pergamos, the capital of the Roman province of Asia... He says where the Satan's throne is. He said, you know, you got a Balaam problem in this this era. This is the era after Constantine made Christianity the official religion. And people wanted it both ways. Want to have the world and Jesus. We don't want to leave Jesus. Balaam didn't want to upset his prophetic office by saying something untrue. And yet... He wanted the world and the things of the world, particularly the money. And Jesus says, yeah, you can't really have it both ways. What I I want you to do is reject the world. Embrace the kingdom. And then we saw Thyatira, the corrupt church. The Middle Ages, where power became the primary thing that people were after. And... We had not just Balaam, who wanted it both ways. We had Jezebel, who was actually a false prophetess. And the church became a place where offices were bought and sold. And people ascended to power for the purpose of land conquest. And it wasn't a spiritual-oriented office. It was a political-oriented office. Jesus says, you know... When you have abusive authority and you have a position from which you can speak out, you need to do it. Speak out against corrupt authority because truth is the basis 
of being a good servant. So today we're going to look at Sardis. And this is now chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You will not know what hour I've come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defied their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The angel in the church of Sardis, of course, angel is a word for messenger. And we said earlier that this is likely the the spiritual messenger appointed in this church. And Jesus introduces himself in this particular church as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We can look at the uh, back in chapter 1 and we can see that the seven spirits are in the throne room in chapter 1 verse 4. It introduces this scene and there's Jesus in the throne room in heaven. He has the seven spirits there. So it seems perhaps the emphasis here is Jesus is the spiritual authority over all. And he's the one that's going to decide what's righteous and what's not righteous. And here we have an era where as far as people are concerned, it seems like a very righteous era. It seems like an era where things are being done the right way. Everything's Christian. Everything is holy, but that's just a reputation. It's not the reality. Why is it not a reality? Because it's just a reputation. It's not real. He says, I know you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Now let's look at the overall message here. It's real interesting. They have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. So the, the key here, what Jesus wants is a living church. He wants us to live life alive. He wants our works to be alive. This is all written to believers. Not to be dead. Which means we have a choice on a daily basis whether our faith can be living and active or whether it can be dead. And he says here, what you're focusing on is having a reputation for being alive when actually you're dead. Now let's look at the consequence to this, because this is pretty interesting. Verse 5, he overcomes will be clothed in the book of, in white garments. That's good. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Well, that sounds very scary. Here's why that sounds very scary. If you look at Revelation 20, verse 15, you'll see why. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That doesn't sound good. And if we go back up just a few verses, in verse start in verse 11, this is the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. 
and there was found no place for them. So here we have a time where Jesus' face causes heaven and earth to melt. That's a powerful face. And I saw the dead, small and great. So everybody's here, small and great, standing before God. And books were open, books plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you got all these books and this book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. So it appears all dead will be judged according to their works, believers and unbelievers. There's people that think that this is just unbelievers that are at this judgment. I'm not sure myself. I think the principles are the same. But the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it. I don't know what it means the sea delivers up the dead. Pretty sure it doesn't mean the ocean because the heaven and the earth are gone. Metaphorically, the sea is often used for the world. The world is a, in the scripture I'm talking about, the world is a chaotic place where you never know when the next storm's going to come up. There's no real form to it. It's just ebbing and flowing. And so perhaps what this means is the dead come from, that are, and death and Hades come, and then everybody else comes, wherever they are. And then death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. So we, we tend to think of Hades as the place where people remain forever who are condemned. But actually Hades is thrown in the lake of fire. It's actually the lake of fire that the, that's the thing that continues on. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, since this is written to his servants, what do we conclude from this? I think there's two possible conclusions. One is that he can fire his servants, and if you don't measure up, he's going to throw you into hell. He's going to throw you into the lake of fire. And so, it's all about performance. It's all about keeping up with what he's given us to do. That's one possible conclusion. That conclusion, however, flies in the face of basically everything else that Scripture says. So that one's one's probably not really available to us. The other conclusion, I think, is to marry this with one of the other churches that we saw where it says that the second death will not hurt you. And this is the the persecuted church in Smyrna. And that's in 2, verse uh, 11. So he's saying here, embrace death. Embrace death and death won't hurt you. In this this, uh, Sardis, he's saying embrace life, true life. If you embrace false life, you're going to have your name blotted out. And in Smyrna, he's saying, embrace death, and the second death will not hurt you. And I think what's happening here is he's saying the same thing. The second death is the lake of fire. And I showed you when we went through in Smyrna these verses that show the beast and the false prophet in the throne room. And fire comes from the throne and consumes them. That's in Daniel. And then I showed you that in Revelation, it says that the, the beast and the false prophet... I'm sorry, in Daniel, it's just the beast. And, it, and I showed you in Revelation where the beast and the false prophet are just thrown straight into the lake of fire. And I, I showed you the passage in Revelation that says that there's no more 
need of sun in the new earth because Jesus is so bright. And the conclusion that I've drawn is that the lake of fire is the presence of the consuming fire of the universe, God Himself, and Jesus particularly. The one from whose face the whole heaven and earth melts. Does that sound hot? And so here you've got the presence of Jesus and there will be those who bask in the presence, who revel in the presence, who have joy and take energy and life from the presence, and those who hate the presence. Like Gollum, the creature in Lord of the Rings that can't stand the sun. Even the moon bothers him because he's become a creature of darkness. When unbelievers are judged... It appears that their works are judged as well. And there are lesser and greater stations for them. But you know, it's very interesting. There's a lot of things where it says, Jesus will say something like, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum. So here you got Capernaum, a righteous Jewish city. I'm, I mean, compare, humanly speaking, it was very righteous. You know, that's the place Jesus chose to be his headquarters. And he said, you know, in the judgment, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked place. He couldn't find ten righteous guys. He said, if I can find ten, I'll save it. But it's going to be better for you in the judgment in Capernaum because what you saw should have made you do this. And if Sodom and Gomorrah had have seen that, this is what they would have done. You don't get told what would have happened very often. But it's going to be better for them. Well, that's fascinating. And then there's another verse where it's talking about Satan. It's the passage where it says, Oh, Lucifer, star of the morning, how you fall. And you said you would ascend to the Most High, but your heart was corrupt. And then it says... And what's going to happen is, you said I'll be high, but what's actually going to happen is we're going to bring you down low. In fact, you're going to be so low, people are going to walk by and look at you and say, is that the guy that made the whole earth tremble? That guy? And I think, well, when is that going to happen? Who's going to be walking by saying that? Is that going to be the demons walking by and saying that? So the conclusion I've come up to is just a model. It's just a model because the point of Revelation is not to figure out the system so we can game it. That seems to be like what our normal approach is. The point is to read, hear, do. And so the, the conclusion I've come from it is the model I draw is the new earth is going to be a place where everybody's there. Uh, there's this verse that we'll get to later in Revelation that says, outside the city are the dogs, the sexually immoral, those who love and practice a lie. And they're not allowed to go in the city. Well, that's the new earth. After all this white throne stuff that happened, after everybody's been thrown in the lake and fire, well, who's that? Who's that that's outside not allowed? So my conclusion is it looks like the lake of fire is living in the new earth alongside the redeemed in the presence of Jesus and not having been restored to the or yeah having re- been restored to the point where it's a good thing yeah so therefore it would it would seem to me like that if you're an unbeliever the you know the satan would be like the worst of the worst and he's the guy that people go by and say is that who and maybe for others it's not it's not so bad so 
I don't know. I'm a, we, get, we just get hints, right? We just get hints because the point is not, let me tell you what's going to happen. The point is, here's what you need to be doing now. And what he's saying is, if you won't embrace death, you're going to miss out on life. If you won't let the, the threat of death hurt you in this life, then the second death, which is the consuming fire, will hurt you in the next life. And if, as in this church in Sardis, if you will embrace true life, then you get life as a reward. And if you embrace false life, the facade of life, making people think you're alive when really you're not, what you're going to get is blotted out. And you're going to lose all these rewards. And, and in fact, we'll see crowns. Let's look at the... Let's, well, let's just look at verse uh, 3. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief when you will not know what hour I've come upon you. So there's another principle here. If we're not watching to be judged and living as though to be judged, it's going to come on us in a way that's totally unexpected. So look at 2 Timothy 4.8. 2 Timothy 4.8. This is Paul writing, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge... So this idea of God as judge is something that's on every page... will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also who have loved His appearing. Those who are watching. Are you watching? It's interesting here because Sardis was a city that was impregnable. It had like a wall and it was built on a cliff or something. I don't know the particulars, but it was considered an impregnable city. And it was breached twice. Both times because they got so complacent about being impregnable, they stopped watching. And people snuck in. Okay? So, it's a very graphic depiction. We are also impregnable. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the truth of God's Word. Nothing shall prevail against us. And greater is He that's in us that's in the world, but only if we're watching. And if we're not watching, bad things can take place. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.